Welcome to Herbal Hour, the podcast for those inspired by nature. I'm your host, Dr. Bogdan, and I'm a licensed naturopath and traditional herbalist practicing in the lovely state of Oregon, bringing you organic discussions with experts in natural medicine, alternative therapies, and holistic mental health. Hippocrates taught us that the doctor treats, but it is nature that heals. So take a deep breath and get comfortable. We hope you enjoy our conversations over a cup of the finest herbal tea, because in nature, it's always herbal hour. Welcome to today's episode with guest, astrologer, dream weaver, writer, and much more, Aeolian Hart, or you can call her Rachel. So what era are we moving into now? From what I understand, you were saying that that era has come to an end on January 2021. So of which one is... Where are we now? Where are we going? I know it's a lot of change right now. So um, in January of 2021, what happened was called, it was called the great mutation. And what that mutation means is that Jupiter and Saturn came together Mm -hmm. and the element mutated from earth into air because they came together in the sign of Aquarius. Now, most people are familiar with the sign of Aquarius because that's a really big part of pop culture astrological folklore. yeah the age of aquarius yeah. yeah there's a lot of debate on when that starts and ends too which is interesting when i looked into it exactly in fact i am not going to say that it's the age of aquarius necessarily because i don't know i actually cannot confirm or deny when the age of aquarius begins because there is a lot of debate and it's not clear One thing that is for sure is that we are definitely entering the age of Aquarius if we're not already there. We're definitely Mm -hmm. in a transitional time between aeons, you know, between Mm -hmm. the aeon of Pisces and Aquarius. What would uh, what would the like archetypal nature of Aquarius be? Would you would you say like what would that like represent like in and of itself? Great question. So um the my favorite archetype for Aquarius, and it's very synchronistic that you were talking about this mm-hmm. earlier when we were just chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the shaman. It's the shaman because what Aquarius represents in the zodiac, the zodiac, first of all, is not anything less than the great myth of the sun. It's the sun's journey around the earth. And you know, astrologers do understand, and they always did that the sun is not moving, that the earth is moving. However, astrology takes the perspective of how things appear on earth. Mm. And so, yes, the sun goes on a journey around the earth from our perspective here on this planet, just like from our perspective, the sun rises and the sun sets. Nobody laughs at you when you say the sun rose today, even though it didn't. It appeared to though. And that's what's important because when the sun rises, it completely and totally changes everything. It literally wakes up the life on this planet. It changes your consciousness. You begin a new day. You're a different person in the morning than you are at night. The internal changes that respond to the shifting of the light are really essential to human experience. And it is the dance of consciousness itself Mm -hmm. so the sun doesn't only rise and set every day it also moves throughout the four seasons and that's what the zodiac represents and so aquarius is the sign that is second to last 
it is almost at the very, very end of that story. And so what it represents is the sun in exile, the sun in this wasteland, this wilderness, this place that is beyond the world. Everything that it was trying to attain, everything that it experienced in that story, that great myth of the sun's journey up until Capricorn, the sun, the sign that comes before Aquarius, is all about rising up in the world, rising up to gain power, knowledge, wisdom. And then what's beyond that? What's beyond worldly ambition? What's beyond that sense of going at life in terms of trying to find position, status, wealth, what is beyond that is Aquarius. Mm. And so the story really is that the sun leaves the world behind. It's like a great king that is exiled. And um, what happens is that on that edge in the wilderness, there is revealed to be a world beyond this one. And so Aquarius is this liminal place with one foot in this world and a foot in another. And so the shaman is the figure, the archetype that best represents that Aquarian role. Because what does a shaman do? They, first of all, as you said earlier, so astutely, they live outside of the village. They live outside of the city. They live outside of the people that they serve. They always live on the edge so that they can take a, an objective perspective from the outside and actually be able to see all the people as equal, equally valuable, not lost in the hierarchies and the drama and getting all entangled in people's stories about who deserves what and who's, who should be in charge. It's not the role of Aquarius to get involved in that. Aquarius takes this perspective from the outside so that everybody can be actually served with an equal amount of love and an equal amount of compassion. Mm. What is Not the significance of the water bearer aspect of it? Is that like a, would you say that that's like a symbolic or metaphorical uh, sense? Well, it is actually um, the waters of spirit the waters of spirit. So we can best remember that from, you know, Jesus Christ who told his followers and Christians to this day acknowledge that they have to be reborn in the waters of spirit. Mm. So water bearer actually represents that. And that means that again, it's an air sign. There's no water in terms of elemental consciousness involved. It's waters of spirit. Waters of spirit also represent, and you could see the Aquarius glyph is in waves mm. those waves actually represent interdimensional consciousness um invisible waves that can travel between times and spaces and dimensions it's extremely um mystical <laughs> mm. because they acknowledge that there are there are levels to reality that can be penetrated by subtler and subtler energies, etheric energies. And that's what the element of air represents. So Aquarius is also about the ability to listen to other dimensions, listen to higher intelligence, listen to what's going on in the realm of the ancestors, what's happening in the realm of the gods. And the water bearer is actually, it's an ancient 
um, it's a really, it's actually, this role do, does exist, but only at very fancy banquets. But a water bearer is somebody who stands at a feast table waiting to fill the glasses mm. of the people that are feasting. Mm. And so like, so we don't like really, they're a servant or like yes. they're working in service of humanity or something they're, along those lines. It's, it's a very subtle difference between being a servant of humanity and a servant of the gods. Mm. Um, the sign of Virgo, which is the sixth sign in the Zodiac is the servant of humanity. And Aquarius is actually the servant of the gods because the whole story of the water bearer is that of a mere mortal, just um, one of us who is chosen by the gods or the ancestors, whatever you want to call it. And they are brought into that realm, that divine realm to act as a servant. And in that service, they overhear what the gods are talking about. They overhear the conversation of the next dimension, the higher dimension. And when they return, because they always return to this realm, the material realm that we call, you know, the mortal realm, when they return, they're full of words and ideas and images and stories that could never have been heard in the human world. Mm -hmm. And they share. And that's exactly what a shaman does. And that's exactly what a lot of different types of people do that have that sort of attunement to another mm -hmm. realm. Or but any innovator in any field. I, I could imagine the relation to, uh, you know, the growth of technology. Like the virtual world is, I mean, we're in the virtual world in some kind of sense right now. It's why yeah. we're speaking. It's like, a, I've been thinking of it recently. It's like a whole nother realm of being has been actually like created. Uh, yeah. And it has a lot of potential for good and a, just as much potential for harm. And mostly, most of the potential, I think, especially in the beginning, has been focused on the harm of, of what it is, but not like what you can do with, you know, social media or what you can do with this and that. But That's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and all of that is air element uh, associated as well. You know, technology, mm -hmm. um, ideas, how ideas are shared. Obviously, it's the element of air that gives us the breath to speak. Mm -hmm. Also, the element of air that gives us the thought power to write. It's the element of air that we literally call it the airwaves with our mm -hmm. mass communication technology. Um, it's etheric waves mm -hmm. of information, dissemination, sharing, and communication. It's all air element associated. And so... Um, this era that we have entered into, which is going to be another 200 years, we will not get to live to see how it fully blossoms. We're only seeing the beginning of it. You know, we're only at the dawn of it. But this era is going to be far more concerned with exploring, expanding, exalting, and also probably maligning the element of air. Is there a dark side to that, like Aquarius as a shaman, would you say? Is there like a dark element? You know how there's always some. Sure. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a classic story of um, who are you listening to? You know, are you listening to actual teachers? Are you listening to higher intelligence that actually comes from mm. benevolence, from love, from the source of creation? Or are you listening to something deceitful, manipulative, and dark? You know, essentially, mm. just really classic medieval. Is it an angel or is it a demon? <laughs> like, 
certainly that's the dark side of Aquarius. And mm. that's the dark side of our technology because a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, what science hopes to accomplish has a very dark aim, you know, and that's something that has been widely explored in science fiction, starting with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. For those who live in Oregon and are seeking natural alternatives for their better mental health, you can visit holisticpsyche.com. That link is also in the description. In-person visits are at the Holistic Psyche Clinic and telemedicine for the greater Oregon area. And for more information about my work and how to schedule a free uh, phone consultation. For every ill, nature has an answer. And that is my work to guide you along in that process of healing with herbs, supplements, dietary changes, lifestyle modifications, mindfulness, dream interpretation, and much more. Links to read more are in the show notes description. So Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, um, that was, that's considered to be the first science fiction book, you know, and what she explored in that book was extremely prophetic because she was able to see that in this enlightenment era mindset that science had in her era, and certainly it's been greatly exaggerated in ours, that science was taking on this shape where mm. spirit was divorced from matter completely. That's really what the enlightenment was all about, was splitting spirit and matter into two disparate things, two separate things that throughout human history had never been divorced or separated before. That separation of spirit from matter has given us this world that we live in now, which from the modern technocratic scientific perspective means that the physical world matter is dead mm. and that there is no spirit because it cannot be empirically measured or quantified. There's something that Carl Jung said that is, is right in line with what you're saying now. Uh, he said that most the like the era of uh, Christianity and all those movements where the the spirit torturing the body. And then mm -hmm. he said the era that we moved into was uh, that we're now in is uh, the body torturing the spirit. So like the, the opposite direction, just like exactly what you said. So that, that's, that's very insightful. So in um, from that perspective, you know, what, what Mary Shelley saw and what many, many great science fiction authors have identified is the problem that arises when you have a tremendous amount of power, scientific knowledge being the power, uh, without any connection to the whole picture of consciousness of being. And therefore, there's no compassion, there's no care for what it is you're doing or why. It's not about what you can do, why would you do it, you know, but when there is no philosophical or spiritual sense to guide what you do with knowledge, then you start to create a world that very is dangerous. very dangerous. That makes me, um, that makes me think of the early rise of uh, psychiatry. Yeah. 
And uh, one of the main models at this time was this uh, new scientific idea of like the organic lesions that caused all kinds of psychiatric issues. There was like a group of people uh, like early psychiatrists before they were even called that, uh, who believed that like all mental illness or any mental anything was related purely to the brain and just to lesions. And that was the only way to treat it. And it was, uh, it was inspired by a lot of the research that had been uh, started on like the brain and like associating consciousness with parts of the brain. Uh, that, that group of psychiatrists were actually, they ended up being involved in some of the most like barbaric treatments that psychiatry has ever known. Uh, uh, popularizing uh, like lobotomies and like around the 1950s, uh, just shock therapies and all these like really brutal types of treatments uh, that were all very focused around the brain. And, you know, if there's like something wrong in the psyche, then it means like a piece of the brain is wrong. So like, we'll just take it out. And that is like, I mean, that is some of the most savage things I've ever seen. And it all came at least in part from a seemingly good intention of, you know, this is what science says. So it's very important note that you're making that, uh, you know, progress technology science are not inherently good or evil. They're inherently however you use them. So one has to be really uh, cognizant of what are the effects of using this, you know, scientific power, let's say. Right. And, uh, you know, and, it's not that uh, science isn't actually new. I mean, calling it science is new. Yeah, right. It's really new. Um, natural philosophy is quite ancient. It That's goes, my preferred term these days. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. way better. <laughs> and I can understand why, because you actually use the term holistic. You know, this is what you do. You actually acknowledge the connections between things, mm -hmm. the correlations, the connections, the correspondence. And this is natural philosophy. Uh, and it is from that same perspective that astrology comes from. Astrology is a hermetic science. Mm -hmm. And I actually, um, astrology is an interesting, hermetic sciences are astrology, alchemy, and magic. And these are very uh, marginalized fields today because there is a distaste from religious communities out of fear for these things not being in alignment with their dogma. Mm -hmm. And then of course there is an absolute, absolute revulsion from scientific communities mm -hmm. for hermetic sciences and arts because hermeticism acknowledges the correlation and correspondence between all things, including spirit and soul. There is no separation. There's no way to divorce spirit from matter. Um, and so the whole, you know, history of science right now is very ahistorical because they have to literally, they have to sanitize the history of the great scientists that they have, you know, that they call yeah, like, like Newton who, who wrote more alchemical works than he did on physics. Right. Was very typical at the time. Right. And they, 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 they still, they consider Newton to be one of their great ancestors. He's a crown jewel in the lineage of modern science. And yet they have to lie about, what he was really doing and where he was really coming from. Right. They say like some, he was, oh, this is before they, you know, alchemy is before they understood chemistry and like 
there was nothing significant about it. It was just like kind of useful to birth chemistry. And yeah. what it seems like is that, you know, th this discussion actually goes back really far into history too, with like even early like Greek philosophers, there was, you know, the, there was like even a group called like the atomists who believed that the world was like 2000 years ago, the world was composed of these small, tiny particles. And then there was these, these other philosophers who believe more in, uh, I guess, uh, patterns, uh, like the elements, for example, or other things that astrology uses. So even in that time, there was like different camps of belief, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they were, you know, they were in discussion with each other. Neither side, as far as I'm aware, was, was trying to like, uh, you know, tear down the other and try to attack their character. They were like, oh, this is my theory on it. What do you think? Okay. Right. Whereas what we're in now, it seems, and what you're pointing to is uh, like one of the sides of history just completely took the whole game of that discussion of, you know, matter versus spirit, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. And it requires, you know, you have to, you have to split spirit and matter to have actually gone on to do the things that we've done to the earth and to people and to the ecology of nature itself, you would have to believe that there's almost no consequences that you're dealing with dead matter, that there's, uh, there's no consequences for the things that you're doing. Um, in order it's yeah. Nietzsche. Have you ever read any of Nietzsche's work? He talked about yes. some really, yeah. So you, so you'll know that when he's, uh, you know, the classically quoted the death of God, whatever, and him actually saying it was kind of a tragedy that we're still living through because it's mm -hmm. like uh, the whole uh, cultural, everything that we are, like our archetypes and the psyche was just like violently torn out. And like what replaced it was nothing like, what replaced it was like a tool to use for certain creations and things, all, all the different progress. Mm -hmm. But um, alchemy, for example, wasn't really like, you know how they always say it's like concerned with the transmutation of lead into gold. Yeah. It seems from what I read, and maybe you can say something to this, many of the early alchemists, they were actually practicing some kind of what you could call now like psychology or mysticism, because they really believe that the, these experiments they were doing were a way to learn about their own mind, although they didn't call it like mind back then. They would probably call it like psyche or animal or soul or something like that. They called it soul. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between an alchemist and a chemist is huge, but it's also very subtle. And the only difference is that what an alchemist did in their laboratory what an alchemist did in their study of nature included the internal experience that was engendered through imagination, through feeling. They took those things into account and consider them to be just as real as any physical phenomenon that mm. they were observing. That natural philosophy idea, love of wisdom of nature in all its parts. Do you think, uh, this is a good point to discuss, I think, uh, what's like the way forward of that? Like it's becoming clear that, you know, the pure scientific dogmas, like it's, it's becoming actually a pretty common notion to rebel against like conventional medicine, rebel against conventional, mm -hmm. like this whole, you know, two-year crisis was a show of that, how much resistance there was to what seemed like it was just like a taken for granted way of living. What do you think is like the way forward? Is it 
we are we going uh like back and trying to retrieve like what was lost and like reintegrate it or is something in the future going to be like a synthesis of it uh, this is something i've been thinking about what's the proper way to approach the study now well in um the view of the astrological lens you know this era that we're in which is is thematically represented by the element of air mm -hmm. uh the natural ability that we all have to perceive spirit in matter to perceive something beyond this physical realm and to integrate it into our consciousness into our ways of knowing into our perceptions into the things that we do with our lives the way we approach our practices whether it may be medicine or even something like gardening agriculture or architecture like anything that we do is going to be once again inspired by that knowledge of the importance of the inner world mm -hmm. and the archetypes. And uh, before you brought up a really good uh, point, I, I think that uh, in like the reframing of history and like the development of the different sciences, uh, in a sense, the baby was thrown out with the bath, bathwater and the story had to be told in such a way where, you know, all that stuff they were, those, like the most innovative legendary scientists of all who are now like heroes of the, that, uh, that field, they were, you know, they're just doing some silliness and stuff and we don't need that stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it just, yeah, it boggles the mind because it seems like there's a common pattern of like tr uh, innovators in any field who truly like take the next step forward and whatever it is, because you can do that in any field of work. It seems like they have like at least some interest in other fields and they're like almost synthesizing whereas it seems like our culture and society hopefully this is changing but we've grown to be hyper specialized hyper segmented like even the way research works right it's like how can you how can you be you know it must be rough the only way many researchers can get like a grant to actually study something is they have to study something so incredibly obscure that like only some company cares about it for like this product that they are going to do or something rather than like, it's like, we have like infinite facts, disparate facts. There's so much research, but like, it's not, hasn't, it, it, there's almost too much to even fully interpret everything to where it's like, there's no like wisdom. There's just like facts and yeah. like facts don't really, uh, especially in like the medical field, facts in themselves are not, they're just like little tools for coming to some wisdom. Like you pull from here, you pull from here, you pull from there, and then you actually do something that has an effect. And the same thing with astrology, of course. Yeah. Um, the way forward, I think is just, we're going to just watch the natural evolution of culture. Yeah. Return to the past, but it's not just anachronistic. You know, there's also tremendous innovation happening because of how much information we have mm -hmm. access to. Um, but it's what happens after a dark age is a renaissance. Again, patterns in history, cycles repeat themselves. And this renaissance that's emerging now is unique to our time. It's unique to our needs. But the renaissance that we all know and love from Florence, Italy mm -hmm. in the 15th century was, and it is taught to us in school that it was a scientific renaissance that it was um, 
an architectural and artistic renaissance, but it actually was first and foremost a magical renaissance. It was holistic. It, there wasn't, I think the important point there is that there wasn't like any distinction in that. It was all like, it was just like layers of whatever, you know, art or science that they were studying. It's, which, which is, I think that's just how it actually is, unless you artificially like just strip it all away. I think at minimum, those like archetypal themes that run through every field, they are the actual inspiration for new things, right? It's like this pulling, pulling out. Um, there was this famous uh, uh, chemist, uh, Kikuli, I believe was his name. Uh, he was the, he was the first, he discovered the, they call it the benzene ring. It's like this basic uh, shape of like carbon atoms, which is like so fundamental to all organic life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he was studying chemistry in incredible depth, like through the scientific method. He, it wasn't really, at least as far as I'm aware that he was like studying alchemy or something, but he was just studying really deeply in the field. He yeah. actually discovered the, the ring, like the aha moment. He had a dream uh, where he saw like an Ouroboros, like, you know, the snake eating its tail. And he like ran out of his bed and was like, that's the shape of it. That's the shape of this molecule. Mm -hmm. um, and he went on uh, to, you know, draw that out. And it took like 50 years or something like that, maybe a hundred years for people to prove he was actually right on paper. He figured out an invisible shape. And it's just like, there's so many stories of that throughout history of like the most uh, like scientifically esteemed of all figures having like some, something mystical about what they discovered or like Hoffman, for example, mm -hmm. um, with, uh, with, with LSD, how he just based on the intuition, he went back to, you know, a forgotten chemical and he decided to dose himself uh, out of nowhere. And it became like, I mean, you can say to some degree that the whole hippie revolution started when he took that and then started talking about it. Cause that was really what brought it into culture. There was always, you know, the, the traditional usages and things like that, but they were kind of just like, they remain on the fringes. That's right. Um, LSD was alchemy. It was taking nature ergot, a mold growing on wheat and refining it through conscientious effort to create a substance that was actually more potent than anything that nature. Actually not poisonous. Cause ergot ergotamine is like, I mean, it causes like, there's a disease. I think it's called like, argotamentosis or whatever whatever it's just basically the name and it's disease it causes like gangrene of limbs and shit like it's very um in its pure form it's very toxic yeah. um and you know it's like that i think ties into the idea of of alchemy that i really like and even the way i view like medicine they had this really beautiful uh view towards nature it wasn't this like domination or like power over nature it was this view that the alchemist, uh, that nature was not like a finished product, that, that nature was something that the alchemist kind of perfected, that the, the human was like, almost like the, the second step on evolution of the natural world, that we were to, you know, take it to the next level and, and draw from those natural principles and like, with our consciousness, actually make it into something that's even, even better than, uh, you know, the way that it showed up in, in nature. What, what do you think about that idea? Uh, I think that's absolutely true. You know, the, um, the alchemical perspective is that you 
we're given all of these perceptions and this intelligence by God. They believed in God. It's extremely provocative now, but they believed in God. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it interesting how it's, how it's like, uh, you have to almost like be careful when you say that word. And it's like, has there ever been a time in human history where they weren't talking about gods or God or anything? That's It's so artificial to... Yeah, it's our, but the alchemists believed that yes, like God is using you as an instrument to refine his creation mm-hmm. or her creation, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. It does not mm-hmm. matter. And mm-hmm. interesting thing about LSD, that's a perfect example of lead into gold, something that's literally poison, like lead, becoming something that births new light in consciousness. And yeah. one of the inventions that one of the discoveries that was made on LSD is the DNA double helix. Right. So it's like, it's all, yeah. it seems like um, certain people get like, they get like activated and I don't know, like for, why do you think that, why do you think that is, do you know what I mean by like activated? Like they might be just living kind of like along the lines of whatever their field is kind of like going by the book and stuff, but then they have some kind of, you know, strange experience or they become interested in other things. And then all of a sudden they start getting like intuitions and their intuitions lead to like actual practical things, which inspire more. What do you think it is? Is it just people who are searching for that are the ones who find that or, or is it just by like, by chance or because their mind was open or is it like destiny? I I mean, I like to believe in destiny, but I also, I really believe, I mean, every human being is a receiver of divine knowledge. Every human being is capable of inspiration and all inspiration means is to be filled with spirit, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what we're talking about. Whether it's a very deep, profound, mystical revelation that we are calling inspiration Or it's just a moment where you know what the right thing to say to somebody who needs you is. You just are inspired. We are moved by spirit all the time to do things that are subtle or tremendous in terms of how they affect the outcome of our lives, the outcome of cultural evolution, the outcome of the planet itself. You know, there are just endless opportunities for us to be inspired. And we still Mm -hmm. use these words, even though by the dogmatic materialist paradigm, there's no such thing as inspiration, but that's all nonsense. That's, that's the dogma of a dark age. And what Mm -hmm. the Aquarian era that we're going to be, that we're entering into now is all about is just uh, remembering the truth that it was never possible to divorce spirit from matter. It was never Mm -hmm. possible for a scientist, no matter how skilled, logical, rational, and methodical they may be, it was never possible for them to do their work without a tremendous amount of insight. They from did it in secret. Mom. They did it in secret, really, when they were being like persecuted for that kind of stuff. They did it in secret anyway. And that's where the science came from. Right. Uh, it would be better if they didn't do it in secret, but you know, maybe it's that well maybe possible. that's just the that's like the nature of you know this world that there are forces who don't really necessarily want humanity to be filled with love and you know thrive there there seems like there is like you know dark elements which can which can take over through like ideologies and and things of that nature uh, and lead people to do crazy things that 
you know, it's almost like they're possessed by like an idea or something. Absolutely. And, you know, the the era that we've been living in um, since 1900 has been the Plutonian era. You know, mm-hmm. Pluto was discovered in 1930. So there's this period of time leading up to Pluto's discovery where that influence begins to be seen. Then the discovery of Pluto is followed shortly by what? The splitting of the atom. And living in a world that is so full of genocide and covert manipulative power games the shadow of pluto is what we see right now in the like the endless power grab that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller in terms of its epicenter um the antithesis to all that is holy holy meaning whole and what the splitting of the atom represents and the, you know, the atomic bomb is associated with Pluto and the Plutonian era. Um, that's splitting something that was never intended to be split. Atom in Greek means indivisible. It means something that can't be divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the more you divide it, the more divisions there are in it. There's some, yeah. some principle going on there. Although yes. every division seems to give some information that you can use to harness uh, but like just the harnessing of it isn't like we're talking about. It's not necessarily good. You know, the people who were, you know, the people who were inspired to whose inspirations really like Albert Einstein, for example, very inspired individual had a very deeply religious view of like the universe and nature. Yeah. Like I remember one of the uh, towards the end of his life, like one of the famous quotation is that he, he almost like wishes he had never done any of his work because what it was used for. So it's yeah. like the people who are inspired and, you know, like Tesla, for example, yeah. they release, uh, they release a technology and then it's just up to, you know, the consciousness of humanity. There will always be people who find how to ruin anything good for, for selfishness or uh, just ignorance yeah. or overt evil. Yeah. There seems to be a reality here in this plane that is attention and conflict between dark and light, good and evil. And as much as we may like to deny that, and I know there's a lot of spiritual traditions that do, I think it's very, uh, I think it's very short-sighted and petty to try to deny that there is evil in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, there most definitely is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the era that we're entering into now is going to naturally start to integrate um, by the very nature of alchemy itself, lead mm-hmm. into gold symbolizes how the organic process of creation is always a dynamic flux between entropy and then growth, darkness, rigidity, death, which then becomes new life. And we can see that just by looking outside in the northern hemisphere, it's tourist season, it's spring all of this beauty, all of these flourishing plants, all of these flowers and fruits, they all were fed and nurtured by death, rot, mm-hmm. decomposition beneath that has become new life. So that's mm-hmm. all that alchemy is describing. And it happens in the human spirit, just as much as it happens in organic matter. And it happens in cultures. It happens in civilizations as well. And so this dark age which really, I mean, I know that everybody in the modern era, the last hundred years has it's like a light age of technology, but a dark age of the soul or something like that. I would dark, say. It's a dark age because the technology is, is um, it's all 
fed to you through this lens of dogmatic materialism. You know, it's, it's extremely rigid in its, in its philosophical intention and its purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing wrong with technology and there's nothing wrong with science. It's the philosophy underneath, which is very, the assumptions, the assumptions, uh, really just like pure dogmas of any kind can be pretty disastrous, whether they're like religious, mystical, or like materialistic. It's like sticking to some basic idea and like almost having like a sort of like, uh, like violence towards anything that doesn't fit into it, whether it's like intellectual or, or physical or something like that. Exactly. Like, and it happens. This is just a, the natural process of things. They rise and they fall, they shine a light and then they grow dark. And in the Florentine Renaissance, the light that was reborn that engendered all of the wonderful things that we still are talking about, that we're still going on about, because it's still inspiring to see it what happens. It seems happened. like it pops up every every after every dark age it's like people rediscover the old stuff and it reinvigorates and it comes into like a new shape because there's also like new knowledge that's part of it exactly 100 and you know the at that time uh it was it was the catholic church that represented the dogmatic force that was keeping everything so rigid and so imprisoned that not a lot of growth was allowed and what what specifically the hermetic corpus that Marsilio Ficino actually translated into Latin, what that represented, and all of the classical Greek philosophy was a remembrance that there's more to the spiritual experience than what the church was allowing. Yeah. Including, like, not everything is demonic, not everything is evil. At that point in history, somebody who fell into a dark humor, as they called it back then, which mm-hmm. would be called depression, something mm-hmm. like that, would have been considered to be possessed. And they would have mm-hmm. been treated very poorly as a result, because mm-hmm. that's not in alignment with what the church says is divine. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, it at some point in Roman history, Christianity represented a renaissance. You know, Christianity brought light to the Roman Empire. Mm. That yeah, the, was- er- the early groups, especially before it was like um, this, like very organized, structuralized thing. I'm yeah. sure. Are you familiar with uh, with Gnosticism? That's one of my favorite areas of study. Absolutely, exactly. And um, so, this is we are in a dark age, but we're also in a, an emerging Renaissance right now. And what that means is that we just see more of what was always there we Mm. see more of reality because the darkness is transmuted into light or the lead is transmuted into gold Mm. and that makes it all very you know it's very valuable and that's why you can find value even in a dark age because even in a dark age there's amazing things happening and you could even say from the broadest point of view the most objective perspective that humanity has to go through periods where they start to die so i think i think it seems like it's necessary even from like a mood perspective yeah. it's like our view towards like you know not feeling well or having some issue it's viewed as like something like, ah, like get it away from me rather than like seeing as like, what is this telling me? You know, how can I, how can I use this to have a greater understanding? Cause there's like a reason for everything in some sense of why you feel. And so, so that information in some sense is even 
more valuable than you get when you're like super happy. Cause when you're super happy, you're just like, yeah, everything's awesome. Like yeah. you make a lot of mistakes because of that. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's super interesting. And then taking that and transmuting, it, I think is that's like a principle that you can go back as far back as far forward as you want. And it's always going to be there. There's something very important about that idea. Exactly. Like in, in our era, just to talk about something simple that most people have experienced depression, any level of it from moderate to severe, um, from like the perspective of modern psychology, this is something very bad and we need to change it as quickly as possible with chemicals and modify your behavior and get away from it as soon as possible. Because it is, it's extremely painful. There's no doubt that it comes with a lot of suffering and we definitely look at it as an illness for a reason. Mm -hmm. But, you know, from the perspective of Renaissance magician, Marsilio Ficino, the father of the Renaissance itself, he understood melancholy, which is what he called it, which means mm-hmm. black humor. Um, he understood that as being an excruciatingly painful, but very necessary phase in one's soul development, because the spirit and the soul were considered to be two dynamic aspects of your inner world. The spirit was the part of you that rises, that always wants to ascend. It's always reaching higher. Mm -hmm. It's that very vital, very excitable part of us. And we still understand that through language. We still talk about the spirit in terms like that. We understand that when you lose your spirits, you're not feeling very excited. You're not Mm -hmm. connected. So he saw melancholy as your spirit actually going so deep within that, yes, you're numb on the outside. Yes. You don't feel connected. You don't feel like growing. You get very still and very dark and it hurts. And, and sometimes it feels like nothing at all. You feel mm. distant in your life. However, very, very sad. I, I work with uh, yeah. like a lot of mental health uh, mainly and is particularly rough because a lot of uh, the people that come for, for help, they've been told like so many things and they have so many ideas and just understanding what I do, like both from the scientific angle and like the holistic angle and these other traditions we're talking about. It's obvious that like, just even the way we're talking about mental health issues is, is not, it doesn't really uh, necessarily help anyone. Like one, even just the term depression is super vague because there's mm-hmm. so many types of depression. There's so many reasons for it. There's physiological reasons. There's like psychological reasons. And, and then there's always that, uh, that reason of the dark night of the soul or like the shamanic illness that, that still exists today. And I see that all the time. A lot of yeah. people who want to be on the healing path, they, they have to almost like face that thing themselves. Uh, and yeah. that's like basically their initiation. You know, the shaman is the one who has healed themselves from right. the sickness that they want to heal others of. And that's how he looked at it. He looked at it as something that what it indicates is that your spirit has actually withdrawn to go be very close to the soul. The soul being this deep, deep, deep part of you that is, is receptive to all experience in life, both pain and joy pleasure and suffering. The soul drinks all of life in with tremendous love. And that's why we call sad music soulful, because Mm -hmm. even though it's painful, it's also beautiful because that's what the soul is like. The soul actually thinks of all life as exquisitely beautiful, even when it hurts. The spirit actually withdrawing into the domain of the soul is a 
difficult experience. It is painful, but he saw it as a necessary rhythm. It's a necessary response that you have to go through from time to time. And when the spirit reemerges, it's grown closer to the soul. And that makes you wiser. That makes you more compassionate. It also makes you more whole. That integration that Jung was always talking about is very old and Ficino understood it. Um, And he specifically wrote about these things because in the church at the time, very much like in psychology now, something like a person withdrawing, a depressed person, it was just anathema to what you were supposed to be. If you love God, you shouldn't feel that way. You have no right to be in that place. We got to fix this now. And they would do so through many means that we think of as superstitious now, but no more superstitious than the way we're going to look at how we treat depressed people today. Yeah, that's factual. That's very factual. Yeah. Yeah. And if you just like the alchemic, the hermetic consciousness is just acknowledging that we have rhythms we have ebbs and flows. Um, it's natural. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't take it seriously. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't provide care. Of course, it's not saying that we shouldn't have medicine for it, but almost like not allowing it, <laughs> saying that it's uh, that it's an illness that you shouldn't have. It's incredibly difficult, you know, when somebody mm-hmm. actually is going through something like that. And if you actually, if there was a a cultural consciousness that understood alchemy and understood that this is somebody actually growing dark and becoming like lead. And from that lead will emerge gold from that darkness will emerge new light. That's the dark night of the soul, of course. And shamanic practices understand it very deeply. Um, Soul retrieval, that whole practice that you see throughout the world Mm -hmm. conception of that is, yeah, like you are, you're going deep within to find that part of yourself that has gone on a journey <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not present or not as present as you would like it to be. It's not, you're not as fully embodied as you would like to be mm-hmm. because there's parts of you that have gone so deep within that perhaps, perhaps you need somebody to help you go find it and retrieve it. You know, yeah, I think it, it, it really does help to have, it's almost like somebody who hasn't been through it in some way, like, uh, can help another person with that kind of thing. And, and that, that's what I think a lot of the, the kind of like errors in medicine are like, there's, you know, there's a common human tendency to like, not look at one's own issues and like, just focus on the work one does. But I find that through also like constantly, uh, self-care investigation, you actually have like real things you can offer people. Cause it's not just like, oh, like, you know, the research says this and like, take this SSRI, but it's like, I know like exactly what you're talking about. Either like I went through that or like, I know a close person to me that went through that. And like, this is exactly what it was like. And these are the things I remember, which were like the big game changers to take one out. And it could be really simple things sometimes. Like, you know, some people, they they fall into depressions because they have like a, a drastic life change. Like, for example, I had a, a, a patient today actually who was uh, who is suffering from pretty bad depression right now, like depressive symptoms, I should say, because I don't really necessarily like to name it as like this entity. Uh, and she used to be like this avid dancer who was like, you know, performing at a really high level, like professionally at Broadway and seemed to be 
much, much happier. And then, you know, a whole bunch of life things happened. She became uh, like a mother. There was like a lot of stresses in life. She changed career paths. And, um, and when you were talking, it it brought that to mind because uh, that like, just even reincorporating simple things that one had like deep interest in from the past can completely change like everything. So uh, our like earliest interests, I think the earlier the interest goes, the more actually fundamental it is to us. So whenever I feel like I get lost on my path or someone else gets lost in the path, I always like to look back into their, into their past and not, and not just looking for traumas, like, looking yeah. for like anti-traumas, you know, like looking for what were their inspirations, you know, yeah. the, the stuff one likes when they're like seven years old and is just obsessed with for no reason. Like that's the stuff you should always have like a book written out so you can reference it every time you get lost. Cause you can almost guarantee there's going to be something in there, which will give you exactly what you need to get back on your path. It's like this constant process of moving forward and going back to move forward. Yes. It inspires the spirit to come back out. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not gone, it's just deep, deep within. And you know, I, I know it's like um, in mourning, it's like exactly. spirit in mourning exactly. of something. And it doesn't the mourning doesn't necessarily end. That's the that's the terrible thing about it. It yeah. it requires a conscious efforts almost always. It mm-hmm. seems to almost always require conscious efforts when it's yeah. like a really dark night of soul, because that that seems that journey gets initiated when like you get like the wake up call and it's like all the things that used to be taken for granted as okay now are like not acceptable. And, uh, and it takes a lot of like uh, self-reflection and things and going within, as you said, it takes a lot of that and thinking about it openly. And most importantly, just like looking at it kind of uh, with compassion and objectivity, not like hating yourself for it, but just being like honest, like, uh, you know, that was a mistake that I did. I shouldn't do this anymore. Maybe I can do this. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. There's a lot of like really, uh, I think, deep, deep uh, internalized like darkness that came from all, maybe things other people said or yeah. parents or culture where it's like, it like assaults our own darkness. Whereas rather we should be looking into it to find, you know, that, that light and to, and to integrate it because so much of what we are is in that shadow, because that's just where we can't see, you know, yeah, that's where we're, we might be. Uh, but it can also, it can also, you know, come up and, and cause a lot of issues in the moments where it is up. And uh, so it's a, it's an interesting thing to be a human being, I'll say. <laughs> very interesting i don't know in comparison to what but certainly interesting <laughs> i feel like yeah we're 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 as unique as we know of you know we don't know of anything else quite like us um and the aquarian influence that's going to be unfolding over the next 20 years and then the element of air that's just going to be carrying the next two centuries it's going to sort of sift and refine a lot of our understanding, our knowledge of how the inner world and the outer world relate. They're reflective of one another. They come together, they swirl together. And um, having had the two compartmentalized for so long has caused a lot of problems. You know, mm-hmm. it's caused a lot of problems. Um, and obviously the way that we have, had a relationship to the earth 
the relationships we've had to ourselves and to the earth and it caused so many problems so many and from it's from ignorance and short-sightedness it seems yeah. more than anything and like this this yeah. tendency of like when a system becomes large enough yeah it like goes into this like default pattern which almost always like whenever anything gets so big that it becomes like the only way of thinking like you think of the like the church or uh like the scientific industry so to speak or a government industry like when it gets so big it, it almost has a tendency to be like inhuman like it becomes like like a machine which like just does what it does and it doesn't really care like who gets maimed in the process of it mm-hmm. who gets like it, it it's really interesting it almost like starts to exist as its own uh thing you know Jung would perhaps uh, call that the zeitgeist or like the spirit of the times Mm-hmm. or uh, the leviathan is another word for it it's like the the, the behemoth that try like the gigantic behemoth that is always threatening to you know eat humanity and it's mm-hmm. like the behemoth is humanity's own creation in some sense yeah so we have to be really careful about what, we, what yeah. we create and more importantly how we use the things that are there for for us you know like everything could be used in a good way like i had a really big breakthrough with technology in the last like couple of months because i've been I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a naturalist. I'm a naturopath. I'm, I love being outside. Nature is like my home, you know, that's where I feel most at peace. So I had like a lot of um, like negative views towards like technology and computers and the internet and all this. I always had to kind of like, uh, uh, like that's not the good way for humanity to go forward. Um, yeah. Even though I like used it all the time, it's not like I didn't use it. So it was like this weird, like, anti my own actions type thing. And then I was, uh, I started getting interested in uh, like, do you know Grimes? Do you know her music? Yeah. So I started like getting interested in that. And then like, naturally it's interesting. Her and Elon Musk are like related thematically, even before they even met, because much of the things he was saying was things she was doing in the musical sphere. And this idea of like, I don't know, it gave me an image particularly the things she said in interviews and her music, because I really love music and listening very carefully. It gave me an inspiration of like, you know, it, like this, this technological revolution that's happening, like could be actually really amazing and it could, it could have the spirit in it. But the question is like, how do we, how do we make sure that happens? Because the tendency uh, has been that technology, although it connects, it also disconnects, right? But I don't think that that necessarily has to be the case. I think that's just the the same human ignorance that led something like Christianity, which was about uniting people and like common love to kill each other. I mean, it's like the same, like any good idea, there'll be someone to like misinterpret it and ruin it. Uh, it just seems almost like a law of nature <laughs> to some degree. Uh, again, like the Aquarian influence, the Aquarian spirit would have you understand like the internet is just a reflection Mm. of the reality of how human consciousness and energy already works like Mm. we are actually all connected and there is telepathy and there's all kinds of ways to communicate across time and space that are pretty mysterious to materialists but nevertheless there is a reality to the fact that we're all connected and we can communicate in subtle ways through subtle energies there is connection and communion happening 
And so what we've created is a tool that actually reflects something that already was spiritually true. Yeah, invisible and, waves that, yeah. uh, that it's carry, perfect. I mean, they carry energy as like, quite literally speaking. Yeah. And uh, ideas and yeah, I mean, like even, you know, like music that's like just where is the music? Where is the online music? Is it like in the computer? Is it like it's ever like the internet is its own thing almost but mm -hmm. people can like tune into it uh, and pull that out. And then they can have like some kind of like revelation or some kind of good experience uh, from that. Uh, like that original experience that the musician probably had to be able to make music like that, or the, the artist had, or the writer had, or the doctor or astrologer had to be able to, you know, do what they're doing is to provide that feeling for other people. Exactly. So a lot of good potentials, but I think the main thing is like, uh, what I'm, what I'm thinking is like reframing how we use technology and, and being more, uh, being open to the good that it can bring and being very aware of the negatives and addressing those just as much. Um, cause going off the grid is like not fun. I did it for a while and I don't recommend it. I do not recommend it. It's not good. Not it's a lot of learning. Yeah. Uh, but one, one gains like a really deep appreciation for what technology can actually do when it's like removed for a long period of time, I would say. Right. Yeah. We will adapt. We will learn how to use this far better. You know, it was once a really tremendous technology just to be able to read. And yeah, there's a lot of, you know, the history of literacy is interesting. It used to be considered, you know, I think it was St. Augustine. I could be wrong. So don't come for me if I'm wrong, but it was a major saint. And I think it was St. Augustine. And one of the things, and he really was brilliant. I'm not trying to minimize or reduce his gifts, but one of the things that made people see him as a saint in his life was the fact that he could read with his mouth shut and silently. I think, I think that's, yeah, I, I remember, I remember that story from somewhere. Like that was a big and silently. Yeah. That's like a, like a shift in consciousness. I remember reading that and being like, I take that super for granted, but like, now us, us reading internally is like is that where our thinking comes from like who like because thinking is just really kind of like an internal conversation with yourself it's 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 very mysterious you know language itself is a miracle and it's very mysterious and just the fact that if you look at how we've evolved through literacy we will evolve to use all these tools in far more refined ways and I do think that because of the way that we're actually sharing information now that there's no longer going to be all of these artificial divisions between spirit and matter. I mean, I don't live in that world at all. And I don't really know that many people who do. I, I encounter them. I actually, I get more hate from um, scientist people, from science people than I do mm -hmm. from religious people. I could count on one hand how many times a really dogmatic religious person has come at me about astrology versus the science nerds are really, really insecure. They get really mad when they find out I'm an astrologer yeah. and they, they say really mean it's, things. They, they feel it's their duty to, to show you why you're wrong. I yeah. don't know if that's a good approach to approach anything, even if like, like, even if they were like, right, like, what, like, is that like good? to be yeah. like an asshole to people like that's not going to help anybody it's not going to change anyone's view no it's it's just it's ignorance not. i think and just poor. 
It is. It's also just um, insecurity. You know, I go like, that's how mostly for the most part, someone who's really religious, uh, maybe they're not as insecure because they feel like, you know, it's not really their era anymore. They believe what they believe by their own choice and they have their own like subculture. And it's, it's a different thing than being a part of the mainstream culture. That's, that's dying. It's losing its embers. You know, um, we do not respect the church of science the way we once did. It's losing its, its hold on people that bureaucratic technocratic world is fading. And it's not just an astrological reading. It's, it's a fact that the mass culture, the mass mind that Jung was always writing about was only made possible by mass media, a centralized authority that was disseminating one kind of knowledge to the masses, which Mm -hmm. creates that Leviathan consciousness Mm -hmm. that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. We are naturally breaking apart into small networks and small networks have a completely different way of building society, operating. Everything is changing very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of, you know, mainstream medicine, mainstream news, mainstream culture that was all built upon this gigantic, ginormous institutional Mm -hmm. power it's crumbling. Yeah, that's, yeah, especially like mainstream news and things like that. I mean, I've even noticed, I've disconnected from like mainstream news for a long time, but whenever I'm visiting my family and stuff, they always have like certain news channels on. And I'm actually amazed that some of the mainstream media is actually, it's actually starting to get more open-minded. It's almost sounding more like I don't know. It's almost like they have to adapt to like all these podcasts and YouTubes because otherwise no one will ever watch that shit anymore. If all it does is like scare you, make you angry. Like I actually like just just recently, like in the last year, I noticed there being more like objectivity in it. It's there's still a lot of issues. I don't want to like say go watch like the news yet. But I'm saying that they're basically at this point where they're like adapt or die. And when, when they die, it's going to be a huge death because those are like multiple billion dollar companies that are, you know, they're like, they're like fundamental to, to culture. I mean, there's always been like a common, you know, like gazette or like, I guess uh, some, some form of like common knowledge that was what people read from or, or exposed or. Or like the 20th century, you know, like it not, it's, it's going to change you know it's changing we're not going to see that continue for the next century for sure it's crumbling and they are dying and they are going to fail um because you don't watch the news because you don't need to i'm sure you're still informed you just have a lot of avenues and there's a lot of different ways and look for like the information in a way just being aware that there's biases and you don't want to be subconsciously influenced by something which could be not only wrong but like straight up dangerous to think like really is everyone has a cell phone everyone's taking their own photos you can share your opinions there's so many things going on i know that's threatening to a lot of people because there's a fear that there's nothing but misinformation but you know it's actually it's more ecologically legit yeah. who, who decides what is misinformation like that's yeah. that's like that's a really important philosophical point that needs to be questioned because like you know that term misinformation is kind of new but that concept is like 
the cause of like people being like politically assassinated and genocides and all that kind of stuff of like, we're the right view and anyone else is like dangerous information. What I meant is dangerous, by the way, in specific, is like dangerous to the psyche. Like oh, yeah. to view an event, uh, like even all the things that are, you know, unfolding all across the world. I, I, I was born in Ukraine. I still have some family there. So earlier yeah. on when I was getting into that, like I felt like a whole roller coaster of emotions and I, I had to process a lot of them. And I mm -hmm. noticed it like, you know, like you have to kind of choose what you want to fill your, your mind with, because to some degree, um, we can only really, we can only have influence in the spheres that we have influence, like to fill oneself with the tragedy of the whole world. It's just, it, it will destroy you. And then you won't be able to help anybody. That's what I've noticed for myself, at least. Um, and, and that's particularly hard because I feel like a very strong link to that culture too. Yeah. It's not like giving up or anything like that, but it's, you know, I got all the information I could. I was like, like a mad scientist researching, trying to understand it psychologically, historically. And mm -hmm. I think I have come to a good understanding, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, I think war in some sense is like a, it's like a natural disaster. It's like a, like a chaotic event that it just like spreads when you see it. That's, it doesn't look like it, it's not like done by like any one human. I don't think, I think it's done by like some like force, like the same way an epidemic. And of course there's going to be a human at the top of that. It's going to be a face of that. Like, like Putin, for example, Yeah, they're going to be the face of it, but they're just riding a wave. Like they're not, they wouldn't have been able to do that if there wasn't already a wave moving in that direction for some reason, whether it was resource scarcity or, you know, a difference of opinion. Uh, I mean, there's like an ideological war going on now with like the, this, the Western culture and like everything else. There's like this big, and it's actually coming to blows. Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind of always has like the crusades and everything. Like that's a common yeah. recurring theme of like people, ideologies are so important that people will like die and fight for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun ultimately. And yet our time is unique and it seems better though. I mean, like old war seems like way more, way more horrible than it is now, at least for how horrible it is now. So I think there, maybe there's some incremental better bettering of humanity. Do I don't think? know. It's that's a, that is a tangent that could go on forever. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I, I do see what you're saying, but the, the real devastating element of war today is that it's, it's disembodied and very um, depersonalized, you know, like mm -hmm. when the United States started doing drone strikes in the Middle East, mm -hmm. it was like, that's pretty, that's pretty awful. That's pretty cruel. Cause it's, it's the epitome of cowardice and I don't like war at all. Uh, so it's not like I want to start building up the archetypes of the heroic soldiers, but the reality is like, shooting people with machines from above is disgraceful, you know, <laughs> like that's, yeah, it's very like, it's very, it's very in, inhuman and human. it allows like, like, like such a level of tragedy to happen that couldn't really happen otherwise. Like, you know, back in, back in the days when like the King was like at the front of the war line, I think if there is to like, it, it doesn't seem like there's any way to stop those things from happening, yeah. but at least like, you know, it wasn't like some bureaucrat who's just like sitting in their comfy office. Like 
if they really wanted to do something like they were the first ones to get attacked and die. Like, so they had to, they had to be so into it that I would say in general wars were fought for far better reasons in the past than they are now. Now it's like for abstract notions, like the stock market and oil back then it was like, because like a neighboring tribe was literally like (laughs) ravaging through your countryside, killing everybody was like a common reason for war. So very untethered. Yeah. yeah. And Not I think that, that engenders such a level of cruelty and disassociation. And mm-hmm. that's one of the poisons of the collective psyche in the United States, for sure. It's not the only country that has it, but mm-hmm. you know, our empire is, is dying now. It's, it's on the decline. And the things that the empire has committed are so antithetical to what the people of this country have wanted and and it's been so many atrocities and it's, it's taking, we have to process it, whether we were following the news or not, because it really was happening. All this mass murder, all of this unjust occupation. And um, it's, it's a very difficult thing because it was so distant. It was so mm-hmm. disembodied. It had nothing to do with anything that anybody could actually understand. It wasn't, anyone invading it wasn't even going after treasures that we would benefit from there was literally nothing to connect to that made any sense and yet mm-hmm. all the murder was still happening all the bloodshed all the loss like all the more senseless in modern times especially with modern technology i yeah. mean and the threat is so much greater like yeah. the threat is so much greater now yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah I so i i see i see your point i see your point I don't know if war has gotten better. It's horrible. It's it's actually evolved into something worse. Um, it's but- almost gotten so bad that people are so afraid to like do it that like maybe that's like the saving grace of humanity, like the the non use of like nuclear weapons and and things like that. I mean, the, the countries have like hundreds stockpiled. It's it's crazy. Like what things can become. It almost it almost it seems like we're the positive like direction I think I would like to see is like war as it was fought in the past is just like, it's just so catastrophically dangerous for everybody that like no one like dare even like say anything like that. I think that that would be a good place to move into where like the conflicts could be resolved through other means. I've heard it said uh, war is politics like conducted on another level like when politics doesn't work when and, yeah. and politics is just like humans communicating yeah at some level although that's become very disconnected from actual people too so right which is why the good news is is that the the level of power that mass government controlled propaganda has had is declining and i know very it's very much cool. yeah very subtle right now because they still have power a lot of it and i'm not trying to oversimplify it but that age of the centralized and and totally centralized authority which was masquerading as something else is actually on the decline and the way that people are going to be operating more and more and more is actually having networks having subcultures having a different kind of dialogue with the times that they're living in, um, being, 
perhaps just as brainwashed, but on a smaller scale in smaller circles, there's not going to be just one story that's dominating and forcing. We'll just use the United States as an example, since that's where we live. Uh, the United States just getting forced to enter a world war, forced to enter another world war, forced to go to Korea, forced to go to Vietnam, because there's one meta narrative that is being pumped and creating all the momentum to make that happen. It's going to become less and less possible for the narrative to be controlled centrally. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. And it's not going to be easy. It's probably going to lead to a lot. We're having a lot of problems right now, socially Mm -hmm. and culturally. It's a very difficult time, a transitional Mm -hmm. time, but it is a good thing. It is a good thing to not have just one story, um, one narrative, uh, so that everybody can be forced to yeah, and and free free discussion about things that are difficult to talk about, I think is really important because that like if you don't have that, then that's like what causes war, basically, is like when like there's no communication anymore, and it's like a few other country, like we're just gonna take it then if you don't want to give it to us, which is and not like yeah, it it's just it backfires always. It always backfires on on the people who initiate it, on the people who are targeted by it. So it's definitely yeah. not like, it it just seems so so uh, so so stupid. Like I don't know. Like it could be argued that maybe like World War Two had like some elements of justice because it was really like there was like some terrible atrocities being committed by certain sides, but they were being committed by every side. Like the whole like thing just seems like chaos. Just like took over the earth and it just went like peace everybody. Yeah, um, the Plutonian era. You know, it's it was a the worst century in human history, I think. I'm pretty sure. You know, I I guess I could argue with people about that. But I think in terms funny. of like death, I think like I think yeah, yes, horrible I time for sure. It's quite yeah. quite amazing. Um, horrible time, and uh, I hope that we so, learn. So how do we deal with that energy, right? Because that's like, would you say that's like the that's like the Mars energy, like uh, represented by Aries too? Isn't Aries like a very? It has almost like a like a warrior like nature to it, not in the sense of like violence, but just like whatever that is. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with that? I mean, I don't have answers quite that big to life's problems, yeah. <laughs> but um, I feel like having um, this amazing opportunity to be connected to the whole world, uh, you know, as tragic as things going on in the world are, we can talk to people. In Ukraine, we could talk to people in Ghana, we could talk to people all over the world on a personal level and never lose touch with that sense of connectivity, that mm-hmm. sense of like manic- a common human community. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a really beautiful thing to, yeah. to see all that. That's a yeah. part of our reality now, too. And mm-hmm. it is having a tremendous effect on human consciousness. And mm-hmm. it is, um, it's not perfect. There's no utopia. Human beings are flawed. We have a lot of problems we have dark hearts and we have mm-hmm. a to cause a lot of destruction so i'm not proposing that we have a golden age coming where we never have to mm. contend with this conflict oriented yeah. darkness in humanity and we have to find the darkness within ourselves understand it integrate it that's why Jung was talking about like during like world war ii and even world war one he yeah. said when when people are not aware of their own shadow they'll project it onto others and yeah. when you project your shadow onto someone else, they become like an enemy who you will do anything to. It's like, uh, 
they become like a like a demon that there's no talking to it's just better to kill and yeah. that is uh that is never the case you know Every, at the end of the day everyone's just uh just a human that i'd say from my end like the speaking through astrological terms i think venus from what i've read that would that energy uh is the is the balance to mars uh where that kind of like that love and op openness and that kind of thing like uh, it, that's the most important thing because i think uh, just to finish on this work topic i uh, i don't know why it came to mind so much i guess it's it's pretty pretty happening current current re very relevant um yeah. but uh it's like there's you know there's an idea of people taking the like warrior mindset and applying it to good things like that's really big and especially in the uh, japanese like samurai traditions and things of like where you're actually being someone who serves people not like kills but protects people and yeah. i think that's when you like temper it with like love and love even of people that might be trying to harm you it's not like you want to harm them it's just like self-defense uh and like it has to has to be it has to exist for 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 people who are not able to do that for other people to be able to like make sure that people can't do just do that to you kind of thing so i um i my husband practices kung fu and i take qigong at the same studio and our teacher has always said that um because he's he's a peaceful man he's a really good-hearted man he's a loving man um but he's had a lot of pacifists argue with him about you know martial arts you shouldn't practice martial arts because you're engendering violence and he's, yeah, that's like the stupidest argument it's <laughs> like no if i'm walking down the street and i see a woman being assaulted and i don't do anything about it i'm a part of the violence instead i could actually stop it and that's what it's about it's about yes protection being able to stop fights not start fights mm -hmm. that's yeah we can't be in denial like mm -hmm. i'm a pacifist philosophically but i'm not in denial of the fact that if somebody wanted to hurt somebody i loved and i was able to uh, get them off i would mm -hmm. i would do what i had yeah, to do that's that's like you know that's the mars energy acting out of love because that's also needed you know because there there are they're like most people in general, I think, are genuinely uh, like good nature, unless like, you know, they had some events that put them in a dark state, you know, but I think pretty much most people are redeemable. But I think there's probably some percentage of people that are just like they've been just like taken over by chaos so much that they like they have no redemption. That's like let's take an example, like, like serial killer or something like that. Those are against those people is the reason why good people have to practice martial arts. Basically, it's like it's a necessity. Uh, also, because like, what if we lose all those traditions and then all of technology goes away and like no one knows how to do anything in the future? So like, whoever does will just like take everything you have. I mean, that's like that's that's the cycle of history. That's what used to happen before like weapons got more developed. So yeah, um, yeah deep stuff and i think it relates to the shadow aspect you know there's a there's a light side to it but it but it is um it's an you know it it's putting your hand in the fire when you work with the with the shadow aspects it, it is is it's difficult and it has certain kind of uh i'd say certain kind of dangers in it because um you're working with very intense energies uh that that can take you know control of people's minds like people who do crazy things in like a fit of rage or something like that um but if you don't look into that stuff and work with it 
like you you have no control or understanding of what that is or how to stop it and that's like when people go completely unconscious from you know from those uh, harsher energies exactly exactly so yeah um one thing that jung said in i think it was the undiscovered self he was talking about the mass mind which is what you've been talking about and the mass mind he didn't say it exactly this way, but essentially it's like it operates on the lowest common denominator and mm. is something that creates all these rules and standards and status quo. And what's really weird about it, the dynamic is that every individual human is the exception to the rule. Mm. Every individual has something so unique that they break out of all expectations, standards, status quo. And so we have a mass mind, the masses, ruled by this sense of absolute standards status quo and they're always really low <laughs> like the bar is always really low and yet every human is built to be the exception to all those rules mm-hmm. and so just remembering that every individual can break out of the matrix if you want to call it that and that the reason why it's so important to like remember One thing that's great about the United States, and I complain a lot about its imperial issues, but one thing that's great about it is the idea that you're allowed to, or at least you're supposed to be allowed to follow your own conscience. You know, Mm -hmm. the First Amendment is not just free speech so that you can say whatever you want and talk shit to whoever you want. It's that is a part of it. And that's great. But what is the right to like check danger, like bad things from from happening that have always happened throughout history? It's the you only have, way to stop it. You always have the right, according to that, that mm-hmm. right. That, and their idea was not that it's their right that they're giving to humans. Their idea, the founding mm-hmm. father's idea was that this is a divine right that all mm-hmm. humans are born with. And they're just remembering that. So it's not this like tyrannical legalistic thing. It was actually just like, oh, there's divine law, which is again, what hermeticism is about. Divine law says every human is the exception to the rule. It has the right mm-hmm. to follow their own conscience and speak up if they mm-hmm. so choose. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you deal with war. You know, just remembering like, no matter what they say, I don't support it. That's where I stand. You know, I don't care what they say the enemy did. I still don't say good, go blow them to smithereens. I won't ever. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It, it just seems like making a bad situation worse. I don't see any, any benefit of like more people dying regardless of like who they are. I don't know the whole, even the whole idea of like thinking of people as, you know, their like ethnicity or their country and stuff. It's seeming to become kind of antiquated also. Like, Cause those are major reasons why people, you know, they get riled up the same way as like in like a sports game where people like literally beat each other up for these like artificial like <laughs> teams that like, what are they even, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like getting caught in that, getting caught in that uh, least common de- denominator uh, hive mind, maybe not hive mind's not a good word. Uh, you know, the, the, the view of the, of the unthinking masses, which is, not any one particular person, but just like the general idea that everyone uh, is like potentially influenced by. uh... All of us, we all get caught up in it from time to time. There's no way out. Like we just have that quality where we get caught up in it. Um, But that's why it's so important to remember, like 
you have a conscience and it may be individual. It may be something that your group of friends or your tribe or your nation doesn't agree with, but do it anyway. You know, it takes a bit of courage, but it's also, it's a wonderful thing. And that's always how things evolve for the better. That's how actual progress is made. Not the myth of progress where we just say everything's always ascending and always improving no matter what, but like actual change and progress and health is restored when you follow your own conscience, even Mm. though it's great and it's hard, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, We were greatly challenged over the last two years in that regard. Every person was greatly challenged to listen to their own conscience and try to do the right thing according to them. Cause there was very strict instructions about what the right response to everything was. And you were mm-hmm. told like, this is the one way that we're supposed to respond, mm-hmm. how you must think. And just the censorship particularly bothered me a lot through social media. I thought that was, but thankfully it looks like that kind of stuff was fought back so much that it seems like it kind of fizzled out. But when I first started seeing that, I was like, this is like far worse than I thought. This is about way more than just, you know, like a pandemic. This is about like a whole cultural revolution going in what I would say is completely the wrong direction, completely yeah. into the 1984 type of way. Yeah, tyranny. You, you would think, yeah, you would think like anyone who read that would be like, yeah, who wants that? I guess the people who are like taken over by that thought and like they have like the power over others because of it. Like no one else wants that kind of life like you limited human life. So you yeah. can't be afraid period. And that's, that's why it's always, it's a tale as old as time. They use governments, churches, whoever's in power and wants to keep the power um, even though they don't deserve it. So if you're mm-hmm. in power and you deserve it, you don't have to use fear to control people. But when you are insecure about your position and you know that you're doing things that are wrong, you know, you're going against natural law and natural order. You're anti-human. You have Mm. to use fear to control people. And that's what happened. And it was really scary for all of us. I mean, I was afraid because I didn't think that it was possible for that many people to become afraid simultaneously. Mm. (laughs) Stop thinking. It was like a mass, mass, like psychosis, basically, I I I would say. And for, you know, for good reason. I mean, we, we have some like if we have ancestral trauma by anything, it's about like pandemics that killed off like so many people. And it's like, that was like pandered to so heavily instead of like, you would think that it would be like the opposite. You would think like everything would be like telling people to not, you know, when there's a fire in the building, you don't like yell, like everybody run, you're going to die. That's like how people actually get hurt. But that's all that I heard on the news for two years. Yeah, good. That bothered me a lot. Good leaders actually like, they hold their head high. They send encouragement. That's the spirit of Mars too. It's like, I have to be a general right now and encourage mm. everybody to believe mm. that they're going to make it. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to do something to overcome this challenge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Challenge, but yes, we're going to. Yeah. What about nature? You know, we got an immune system. Like, can we talk, can we have a conversation about like all of the other things that are beneficial for the immune system? Nope. Yeah. This and this. <laughs> it's just who who like uh oh it's you're right about the fear thing because i think no like calmly reasonably thinking person can see anything but issues in that kind of uh, way of approaching like health public health in general it's only through fear that people allow this and that's 
the rise of all evil is just the good people through fear is that's why it, that's why it isn't resisted as much as it needs to be. That's right. But, so just alchemically speaking, to bring it back full circle, you know, that experience was traumatic for us all for mm. various reasons. Everyone has their own version of why that was traumatic, but mm. my God, it was, it was traumatic to see that unfold in the world. And hopefully we learned a lot from it because, you know, at least in, in my lifetime, I've, I've always been very suspicious of authoritarian leaders and I, I'm not, as you, right, as you rightly should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I read history. So I'm like very, I'm very skeptical and very concerned when I see things like that. But um, I've never actually been treated like that before personally, you know, and I think I learned a lot from it. So hopefully that we it's all, possible. Yeah, hopefully we all did. I, I think that um, to actually have to face that, like you, that's facing the collective shadow, you know, mm. the collective shadow is was like, there, uh, was there any like astrological, uh, coincidence with how everything happened I, i've kind of been interested in that i haven't been able to find much information about that do you, do you yes. know anything about that? january of 2020 saturn and pluto conjoined oh that's like two two dark things right yeah in capricorn the, which is the underworld and like the, yeah the, the underworld and laws authority traditions institutions all in the sign of capricorn Ooh, yeah. that represents worldly power governments and institutions and it was um also like creeping up on an exact conjunction pluto is creeping up on an exact conjunction with the natal united states is pluto so that's called the pluto return and that perfected this february so this whole era has been all about having the true darkness that's been hiding behind the scenes come out and I was hoping it wasn't going to be as severe. I, my, I knew this Saturn Pluto conjunction was coming, but my naivete limited my imagination. I couldn't possibly have imagined something like that happening because I just was more optimistic, I guess. Back then. Mm-hmm. It was definitely way more of a, I don't know, as much of a cosmic event as I've ever seen in my life where it seemed like just like a big wave just rolled through everything. Which, you know, like there's been all sorts of things that happen, you know, like with uh, like different mass propaganda campaigns in like the the U.S. and stuff in 2000, 2010, et cetera, et cetera. But it never like affected everybody so much. There was always like, I mean, even like even when Bush was president, there was like 50 percent of people were just like F that guy, like through the whole presidency. But. Yeah. yeah. More than 50%. He was hated and reviled. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it, <laughs> it was a common, a common thing. And I, you know, nobody wanted that war. I mean, it really was, that was a dark time because there really, it, it was first revealed, I guess in my lifetime, although I was, I never, I never really believed in the president, but you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I always knew I that that's a, that's an awesome uh, a political affiliation someone's like oh so what uh what's your political view Uh, i don't really believe in the president (laughs) really where i was coming from for a lot of reasons but that was when i really saw it demonstrated like there is no correlation between what we want and what they're gonna do none and and that was that was damning that was horrible you know i i really it sent me into quite a well it's made me the person that i am 
you know, um, I didn't forget. I remembered. And I know a lot of people did forget. And that really drove me insane. But I don't think people are going to forget this. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not out of sight, out of mind. This is not a war in Iraq that we can pretend isn't happening because, you know, it's just we can't hold that much stuff in our head and we can't we can't care every day, year Mm -hmm. after year after year. That occupation in the Middle East went on for like 20 years. You know, it's just it was so such a burden to to stay connected and try to remember what was happening. But this 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 was close to home. This hit right yeah it was very very visible like your local shop it changed everything on a scale that i've never seen anything change things yeah and not in like not in a way that i thought was necessarily like even one i don't know there there had to be other ways that should have been tried but you know it's all gone and passed hopefully we don't you know we don't repeat something like this unless there really is like a pandemic that is like really so high in mortality you know the thing is if there really is a pandemic like that you won't have to convince anybody no one was like had to convince people about the plague they saw half of their town like die the, no, there was no arguers against the plague i mean they they believed that you know some believed it's from god from natural causes but no one doubted that it was like something that you should be careful about but this was like different it's like people had to be really convinced to be afraid of this and uh convincing someone to be afraid even if there's a good reason to be afraid is like a great way of completely suppressing their immune system. So like just completely backfires uh, even with good intentions. So I like to have a positive view. I believe in nature, believe in my body. I've had people cough and sneeze into my face. I'm like still here today. You're a real doctor. Handled it. Yeah, exactly. Encourage <laughs> people. Your job is to help them believe in themselves, believe that they're strong enough to handle what they're going through It doesn't mean that you deny suffering, but my God, it's, I feel like everyone should learn from this time that if someone's coming at you, trying to persuade you to be terrified and not believe that you're strong enough and not believe that you can do it, just fucking stop listening to them. Mm. Another another thing I found too, is like, you know, there was like the talking head saying things and like, that's exactly what what, what you said, I, I believe applies to is like, just don't listen to those like fearful voices. Yeah. But when it was like friends and family talking, what I found for myself was like, see through like whatever the like apparent emotion is of like their anger and disagreeing with you and yeah. see into like the fear at the root of it. Cause I yeah. had like some really big disagreements with friends. And what the thing that healed those is I just realized like, oh, they're like really afraid. And that's their way of expressing like, they are almost like trying to, you know, like a friend or close uh, loved one. They're like really sharing that they're like really afraid. And it makes them even more afraid that you're not because, you know, that view to them is, is very real. When really the approach to actually help someone like that is just be like compassionate and open to their view and understanding and, and see, you know, at least from the doctor's view for what, what's at the root of it i noticed uh, talking to one of my friends it helped him a lot because he was like he was like not even like consciously afraid of it he was like really really subconsciously afraid of it and it was coming out in like all these kind of arguments mm-hmm. um that like didn't even seem like his ideas because like we had talked many times before but yeah mm-hmm. you know people become different when they're afraid when they're really angry when they're taken over by any very strong emotion mm-hmm. uh so emotions yeah. are great but don't completely lose yourself in anything, I would say, is a good idea. Yeah. 
And if you're afraid, hopefully somebody will be there to pull you through, comfort you, encourage you. If others are afraid and you're not, that means that you're being asked to be the comforter. You know, you're one of the people chosen. Be strong for others. And that's what you did apparently throughout the pandemic. And that's wonderful because thank God. And I tried to do that my own way. I'm not a doctor. I just helped people emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not afraid. So I'll help the people that are just feel safe, you know, and Mm -hmm. they're going to be okay. And the mental, the mental health toll is huge and still, still only unfolding now, I would say from what I noticed working with people, I think there's, um, a lot of residual issues from that, even though things have gone back to some normal-ish state uh, these days, at least where I am now. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of like unresolved things that I notice, but and and that's why I do the work to help people with those kind of things because, yeah, amazing. It's like a societal trauma, basically. I would say. Yeah. Exactly. Really, it should have made us come together, not apart. You would think like a common danger to humanity would bring people together but like it didn't it brought Mm -hmm. us as far apart as you can get and that was the isolation was the issue with it we'll come back together now though like not not now but eventually it's going to be something that drives a lot of unity and i think so yeah and i I would like to support that that point of like moving it in that direction of like coming back together with like a new understanding and appreciation for community and how important it is and how important your friends are and like all those things that we may have taken for granted through everything that happens. It's pretty obvious, like the effect that has on you that might not even be like that obvious unless you look. Yeah. So super important community, super important. So support your local community. They're the ones who matter or your virtual community. If you have one. Exactly. We're all in the virtual community. So. That's, that's all going to be greatly blessed by the years ahead. And that doesn't mean we don't have challenges, but Aquarius is all about people coming together and it's all about humanitarianism. And just to conclude with the astrology, you know, the most important thing that happened in April was the conjunction between Jupiter and Neptune and Pisces. Mm-hmm. And what that actually opened was like kind of the opposite energy of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And what sort of unfolds following Jupiter and Neptune coming together in Pisces is a huge current. And it's a current. You could choose to not tap into it if you want. But it's a current that actually is trying to help philosophies of peace flourish. We'll just put it that way. It's like philosophies of peace. So a lot of genuine religious impulses are going to start to rise. The real ones from real loving people that actually do believe in a higher purpose, a higher level of being. There's going to be a lot of um, people that see the light that don't want to be alienated or divided against people for these artificially, socially, and, you know, socially engineered reasons, you know, there's going to be a lot more natural fluidity and unity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a natural pendulum swing, right? Like people can't handle any more of this dividing and, and destroying every single foundation that gives yeah. us 
sense of comfort. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not even the person that's the enemy. It's the idea. It's like the harmful way of viewing life or viewing other people or like, yeah. And it's all too easy because, you know, we're kind of wired to, to think like that when it's like default mode, you know, when we're afraid we're in survival mode. That's why uh, meditation is so great because then you don't ever have to be survival mode. You could be calm as a cool as a cucumber while you're running away from a tiger. Yeah. If you're a meditator. So, yep, exactly. And then you can start to, uh, you know, count to 10 before you hate somebody for thinking. <laughs> before you hate somebody because they sent you a crazy message on social media. Yeah, we all suffer from it. Like road rage, you know, it's a thing. You feel like, oh, I hate that person. I hope they die. But that's a moment. It can't be like who you really are, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's fear. It's fear, actually. I think it's that exact fear thing. It's like, what's scarier? You're moving really fast in a vehicle and someone does something that makes you have like a glimpse of your own potential mortality. That's going to make you like, I've heard it said that uh, anger is like, uh, it's like a surface emotion. It's like a protective emotion, but there's always something deeper beneath it. Sometimes it could be healthy. Anger can be healthy. If you know, somebody crosses your boundaries or does something wrong to you, it's your way of defending yourself or someone else. Uh, but you know, sometimes it's just a a way of, uh, expressing uh, like an emotion that's deeper. And I think if we don't look at the emotion that's deeper, we won't be able to resolve that feeling, you know, like the, like the Buddha said, uh, you know, hating someone, resenting someone, having like deep anger towards someone is the same as like holding a really hot coal and hoping it burns the other person. Mm-hmm. So our own, our own negative emotions towards others will destroy us. Mm-hmm. So uh, even from a viewpoint of the most selfish moral philosophy, like being uh, selfless is actually the, the best way to be happy. Agreed. Very All right. Awesome. I think that's a, that's a good place to good place to, to wrap this up. Thank you again for, for coming on the show. And uh, I'm excited to do a, a group podcast. Thank you again. Thank you. It was lovely. Have a beautiful evening. You too. Thanks. Take care.